I think it is why the studio's work can react more to place and has more of that setting because there's so many people who are have experienced so many different environments that when we really have to tune in to one together, there's a lot of perspectives. And I think that's what I appreciate as well about the studio and, and as well as about the way that the studio interacts because we're all in one main studio cabin together and we sit together all day. And I think we're just subtly influencing each other all day. We listen to music all day. So um, we share music, different people can play different music at different times. And I think that's also why people attend the masterclass because yes, there's this focus on architecture, but no one wants to just go to another conference or lecture. You know, it's like when you read Rick's works or you read even the prologue to Desert Work, his first monograph, you really see that it's all about the nature. Welcome to A Best Practice, a show where we interview leaders in the building industry to unpack the tools, strategies, and tactics they use to run great organizations. Today, we're excited to be joined by Rick Joy and Taylor Garcia Dixon of Studio Rick Joy for a fireside chat. Rick Joy is the founder and principal of Studio Rick Choi. He is considered an important contributor to the ongoing global discourse on conceptual and sustainable architecture. His work expresses innovation and exactitude in modernism and reflects a unique sense of place. Honors include receiving the American Academy of Arts and Letters Award in Architecture in 2002, and in 2004, winning the prestigious National Design Award from the Smithsonian Institute slash Cooper Hewitt Museum. In 2015, Rick was vested into the American Institute of Architects College of Fellows and the Royal Institute of British Architects Reba International College of Fellows. He was inducted into the Interior Design Hall of Fame in the Javits Center event in 2019. Other professional affiliations include the College of Fellows of the American Institute of Architects, the American Academy of Arts and Letters, Tucson MOCA Advisory Board member as well. Rick lectures internationally and periodically serves as visiting professor at uh, Harvard's GSD, Rice University, MIT, and the University of Arizona. Uh, Taylor uh, Garcia Dixon joined Studio Rick Joy in 2020 with over a decade of experience as a director, project manager, and consultant. She is highly skilled in PR and marketing, brand management, trust and archival work, project and event, project and event production, development, contemporary art, client relationships, and community <laughs> cultivation. <laughs> You're the yeah, list goes yeah, on. Like I am. It's the, too much. It's too list, much. <laughs> a Swiss Army knife, of course. Her work with artists, brands, and institutions internationally includes projects in Los Angeles, Austin, New York. I mean, almost every major city in this side and across the pond. Let's see here. Last but okay. Prior to joining the studio, she was the membership and development director at the Museum of Contemporary Art. Um, she's a licensed real estate agent, too, if you're interested in <laughs> property in the state of Arizona, raised in Brownsville, Texas, on the board. I think we have a full bio here. Over. I mean, I think uh, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah, that's good. Well, I think everyone's going to know a lot more about you after this conversation. So with that, thank you both very much, uh, both Rick Joy and uh, Taylor. And as always, my guest uh, on this conversation, Chris, as well. Thank you for joining us. Cool. So to kick it off. I'd just like to know a little bit more about how, you know, from a director of communications perspective and Rick, as you as the leader and principal of the firm, how do you both work together as a team? Uh, she pretty much tells me everything to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's, uh, it's more important than that. I'll let Taylor go. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, I knew Rick when I was working at the Museum of Contemporary Art and him and his wife, Claudia, who is his partner and also runs the lighting design studio that we work with and does interiors concept lighting lab. I knew both of them from then. And when they started looking for a local, we had been outsourcing our PR and marketing to New York. And we really realized that in the Southwest and in Tucson specifically and for Rick and the way that the studio works is that we don't have any remote architects or remote designers and we don't have any part-time people. It's very important that it's collaborative. So I actually got hired, I think like March 1st of 2020, right before the pandemic hit strongly here. So the way that Rick and I started working together is really unique because we were working remotely in the same town, which just required me to kind of be a bit more involved in everything from the start. But what I started with was kind of the archive, which contains over 30,000 photos of our work for, I mean, 27 years of projects and kind of helping with that because that was one of my specialties. And the way Rick and I work together is really, well, one, he's the best boss I've ever had and the nicest boss I've ever had. And he really- a boss? Yeah. And uh, he really takes care of people. So there's a, he makes it very easy to communicate if you're upfront and honest and transparent about what you're trying to get across. I've really appreciated from an administration standpoint of that line of communication being really open. And he told me very early on, I said, uh, we were talking and I said, to be honest or honestly. And he said, you shouldn't say that because then it gives the impression that maybe there's other times when you're not being honest. <laughs> and so if you say, you say to be honest, he thinks we're, like, you know, we're, so I was like, we're okay, a teaching studio. yeah, yeah. We're a teaching studio. So it's been really interesting because he really understands contemporary art and he comes from a very natural place and a very public, even though we do a lot of private residences, a lot of things have to do with like how it affects nature and the way that things are and light. And so it was a really natural fit for us as far as like creatively and administrative wise to kind of click in. And I just kind of help keep track. I answer all press inquiries and see if he wants to do them. We're a really fortunate studio. We don't outreach a lot for press. We kind of let it come to us. And so Rick has developed a network over the past 30 years that it gives us I mean, I do some outreach, but I don't have to kind of sell us, you know? So what my work more involves with him is like how the studio is seen, the people we hire, how we keep ourselves feeling like we, even though we're in the desert, are connected to the international architectural and just broader world community at large. And what that looks like for us in our hiring, it looks like for our clients and the places we put our focus. I built our Instagram and so I run that, but every image that is posted is reviewed by Rick. Every text that is posted is reviewed by Rick and the team. So we're very involved in like how we communicate to the world, the kind of studio that we are. And a lot of that narrative, if you go through the Instagram, is Rick in his own words, because I think Rick has such a unique voice that it's really nice to kind of see an article from 10 or 20 years ago where Rick is talking about something that now is really prevalent in architecture or trending or something that people are like, oh yeah, that's what's happening now. And it's like, yeah, Rick was talking about that 20, 25 years ago. And so we kind of keep it, the ethos, what Rick wants is there, but because he's so generous with the way that he presents it, the team really gets to sit in that. We are very fortunate that we also are in buildings that Rick built. So I'm sitting in our conference room behind me is rammed earth and our entire property 
five of our seven buildings are rammed earth and some of Rick's first projects. So we also get to kind of live in the architecture. And I think that also helps Rick and I work together more easily because I we like see every day what the studio is about and what is coming out of it. I think that kind of answers the question. Jeez. <laughs> did I, did I fire? Okay, good. Well, plus I only pay her two bucks an hour. So <laughs> Rick, I'd like to shift the conversation to one way that you've been engaged with other architects on a yearly basis is what earlier in our conversation you described as a home in Vermont, which is this one-week immersion workshop about practicing architecture. Open book, no trade secrets. What is the story behind this office or this uh, this workshop or this home uh, in Vermont? Well, um, just to start, I mean, first of all, my clients uh, for that retreat, as you called it earlier, just moved into it permanently. There's four horses walking around the house. We had this idea. I used to get invited down to Glenn Murcott's masterclass in Australia, be a part of it. And I thought, well, let's try to do something like that in the United States. And new close friends. And I started this in uh, Telluride, but then moved it to the house because they weren't living there and it was empty. And um, I've had the enjoyment of inviting people from all over the world to join us. Rick LaPastria, Peter Sussbury, Frida Escobedo, and John Pawson, and, and, and others. And the idea started in the first week of August because we thought that we would need to attract students. But then I got really tired of that really fast, like early on. And um, more mid-career architects started applying and, and we'd vet them and they'd come. I mean, I've had 70-year-old people come. And um, it's that you just don't hold anything back and you just tell them how we do it. I don't really um, have anything to hide or want to protect or anything. I just want to teach. And it was lovely for a while. Um, but now they moved in permanently. So we're uh, going to move that whole thing into Tucson. And do it in February. So all you guys that live in the Northeast can come to Tucson in February. And so um, it's been a meaningful thing for me for seven years, six, seven years. And I think what's unique about that workshop from what I hear is that you really have access to all of the, to Rick and to everyone else. You guys have breakfast together. You have meals together. You hang out around the space together. Um, and it's not like, oh, you join in this conference room, you stay in your hotel rooms. But this particular space was built so communally that it can fit everyone. To yeah, it was always very fun to just wake up and see everyone sitting at the table drinking coffee. And I would just point to somebody who looked like they needed an omelet. I'll make you an omelet. What do you want in it? And people were like, what? <laughs> and so, um, so much fun. And then we barbecue together. And swim in the pond and ride around in a canoe, watch baby ducks learn how to fly. And it's a beautiful thing. What kind of topics are coming up during that week? What are some of the most common challenges you hear? Or what do you find yourself telling architects over and over again that, that join? Well, the projects we always give, because my clients that own the house are uh, Catholic, very religious. And so we did a chapel every year for them on site. 
And what was really fun is to talk about, well, could the chapel be like on the edge of the street so that the townspeople could use it? Or should it be down in the forest? It's a secret place. I mean, we had people from Mexico and Saudi Arabia and Chile and all over the world come to this workshop. But the big surprise was always that I would take them to Exeter, Exeter Library. And it didn't, it's not in the program. Just say, hey, we're going to go for a ride. You guys want to go? And then we go up to Maine and have lobsters. I'm from Maine, so we have to do that. And um, some very interesting uh, little stories happened, like the, the cup from Saudi Arabia. Based on their, their religion, they had to actually be participate in the killing of the lobster. And in Maine, you just throw it in a pot. And I mean, it squeals a little bit. It's not from a, that, it's from the heat. I had to walk into the kitchen and they had to do a ritual and bow down and do that and put a little you know, knife in the lobster's head. It's, it's just, I don't know, you learn so much when you invite a lot of people from around the world to come. And you talk about architecture. Yeah, we talk a little bit about architecture. That's kind of what I know how to do best, but I'm just trying to give you like a little, you know, side stories. Yeah, no, I think that's really fascinating. The fact that like so many people from everywhere are coming over to this like very unique event. And because they're coming from everywhere, do you find that the same, same topics that you're talking about, when you are talking about architecture, do you find that it resonates completely with everybody in the room? Or do you find that like, they're actually a very specific conversations you're having based off of potentially where the countries are that they're working in or that they're building their own careers in. Well, it's um, it's a very similar microcosm to uh, of how our offices. I mean, uh, Taylor's from South Texas and people from South Africa and Chile and Guadalajara and Austria and Korea. Somebody just moved here from Tehran to work in our interior design and uh, lighting design department. Had three different people from Vietnam, which is so much fun because I remember one story, uh, if you want to hear a story, which is what I do. I'm trying to work with the guy, young guy, Luat, on a luxury bathroom, two sinks, a bidet, his and hers toilets, you know, shower, steam room and everything. He goes, Rick, I'm glad to help you with this, but I used to have to run down to the river. And so then you get this beautiful balance of people's attitudes and ideas from around the world. And it's, um, I say the word gorgeous a lot when I think about the people that have worked in my office. And it's not my office anymore, it's Studio Return. People from Sweden and Portugal and we just hired a guy from Morocco. He'll show up in February. And so your question about the masterclass, it's like, the, it's beautiful because people come from all over. And then I get to show them Maine and Vermont, which is where I'm from. And then uh, when they come to Tucson, then we get to show them Tucson, which is quite a bit different than Portugal. There's no sardines. I just think the, the quality of the different nationalities of people that come from different lifestyles and all from around the world. It's just, it just makes me melt. I love it so much. And I think it is why the studio's work can react more to place and has more of that setting because there's so many people who are, have experienced so many different environments 
that when we really have to tune in to one together, there's a lot of perspectives. And I think that's what I appreciate as well about the studio and as well as about the way that the studio interacts, because we're all in one main studio cabin together and we sit together all day. And I think we're just subtly influencing each other all day. We listen to music all day. So we share music, different people can play different music at different times. And I think that's also why people attend the masterclass because yes, there's this focus on architecture, but no one wants to just go to another conference or lecture. You know, it's like when you read um, Rick's works or you read even the prologue to desert work, his first monograph, you really see that it's all about the nature. And so I think like right now, when you ask a question like that, Rick goes straight to nature, you know, and he's like, Oh, there's animals and we're out in a field. And then we, these, lobsters and we do all these things and <laughs> it sounds like maybe it's not a part of it but it is all a part of it and um well, in the studio especially in the desert yeah. well it's uh, brilliant about people moving to tucson from all these different countries is um that it's such a unique environment i mean the flora and fauna are different than any place in the world it's a they call it a desert but it's very green and we have lizards and rattlesnakes and beautiful plants and all that stuff. And when you come, you just really can't even really help it, but to learn about all that stuff. Cause it's so unique. And so, um, um, we have, uh, people in the office that are organizing hikes on Sunday mornings and, and both my sons know every animal and every plant in the entire de Sonoran desert. And so it's, um, uh, when you move here, it's like a given that you have to just absorb yourself in learning about the place, which then influences the architecture immensely. So, um, and you learn how to build buildings out of dirt, like what's behind Taylor right now. Yeah, and I think, I think we're unique that we can spend 365 days outside, you know, so like it's hot, but our studio has no hallways. They're all connected by external paths of dirt. You can see them on the website. They're 400 Rubio and Convent Studios. Those are both our studio grounds. And uh, you learn really quickly, like what shoes you can wear, what the sound is gonna sound like, what the light is gonna look like. We don't have any lights on in our main studio. 95% of the time we have this natural light that gets to come through and is really a part of us. So it's a really integrated way of looking at design and architecture. And then it kind of spills into any project that we have, whether it's in Sedona, um, we have something in Minnesota right now, or Joshua Tree. You know, it, what's also cool is that it's easy for me because clients who are coming through and people who are interested in, in working with us in a PR marketing sense, are really looking for that. They look on our website and they see these projects that are just surrounded by nature or are really activating nature. And that's what they want too. So it kind of seamlessly goes together and they, you know, they start saying like, oh, I want, like, I just want to spend more time outside. And I think that's really interesting when you think about architecture and how so often it's like the focus is the building. And then a lot of times in the studio, the focus is the experience of the nature through the architecture, you know, it's like what is around where we're going to be creating this space. And I think Rick kind of like instills that in us. And that's why I talk about like what shoes you wear when you come. Like if you show up in sandals to the studio, your feet are going to get dirty because all of our paths are gravel and dirt. 
And that's an experience, you know, and it's an intentional experience. It's like every other Saturday, someone, we have someone come and rake the dirt for us and like re-level and re-rake this, this. So it's not, it's not out of, it's very thoughtful, you know, and I think that that's a part of like. Well, I, I grew up very, um, I like to call it financially challenged. And so, um, you know, the luxury for my family and, and I and my brother and sister was when we wanted to celebrate something, we went out to nature. You go to the beach and go swimming, go to the lake and go swimming, go take a canoe ride or go have a picnic in the forest. And I learned early on in my life that that's the true luxury. So, you know, I'm not going to make a golden toilet. I'm going to give you a beautiful experience of nature in every room. And so if you want to take a look at our, um, one of the images you could send Taylor is um, some of them uh, from Tennyson, 205 in Polanco, Mexico City. And we brought nature into every room except the closets in a five-story building. And... Um, that's always been the mantra for me, that luxury, that nature is the luxury that you can have in your life. And I asked people in you know, a house with Francis Ford Coppola, and I said, why'd you hire me? I knew you would bring nature to my life. And it's like, it's the heart of what we do. We're doing a nice little house up in uh, Minnesota right now. It's right on a lake and it's a dream. And it's not gonna be black like everyone does. We'll see what, what it's going to be like, but that's it. And so like what was Taylor was just saying is that the idea of walking around on the grounds between the buildings is to reorient yourself with nature at all times, whenever you can. And if you look at our desert nomad house, the core of that whole idea is three separate buildings that you walk outside and reorient yourself with nature before you go into the other other spaces. I just believe it's essential. But then sometimes we push it a little bit. I'm on Geary. We planted fruit trees for fun and for interest instead of like Palo Verde's like on Central Avenue. Didn't want it to look like that. And so we also generally narrate stories that sort of support that kind of stuff. And so the idea of the fruit trees was like, why don't we have a story about how this generous host who was going to eventually make this hotel collected fruit trees on all his travels, had that fruit tree seeds on all his travels, and then plant them for the guests. So there are cherries falling on the ground and peaches and apples and, and everything. And it's so much more rich than just planting some pelaberries or mesquites which don't even grow in that region. So let's just go full on the other direction. Fruit trees, kind of fun. 2,000 acres with 11 uh, eight foot high mesquite trees. And so then we did a hotel and we planted fruit trees. It's just like, why not just have a little bit of fun? In a previous interview, you've mentioned, and I think it really speaks to what you're saying here. I'm actually offering a lifestyle proposition more than a building in form. Yeah, um, I've always said that. Yeah, what, what other details about how you meet a client and walk a client through understanding your approach to architecture? I imagine one example is a client visiting your office uh, to really feel what you mean about bringing nature in. But 
also the way that you talk about Vermont and exploring the place. What is your approach to meeting the client, whether it's at their site or bringing them over to a project that you've done where you try to reframe the whole reason for this project is not for the building, but rather for your life? Well, I mean, you mentioned Vermont, Woodstock. And interestingly, the clients wanted to be building way up on top of the hill. But there's a farm pond down at the bottom. And um, it took me a while to convince them. And then uh, sometimes as an architect, you have to just kind of like go around the corner and come up with another idea and determine that it would be $60,000 a year to plow the driveway to go all the way up there in the winter. And so he goes, oh, okay. And then I said, you know, do you really want to watch your kids swimming in that pond with a telescope? Let's live right at this pond. And so that's the lifestyle. Then you make a building that um, you can take away the view for a moment and then give it back right after you get in. And so if you study that plan, you'll see a kind of a maze where you you walk through stone and upstairs and everything. And it just takes your mind away from the view. And then you walk in and there it is again. Yeah, that photo's from before we built a deck and all the fun stuff for the kids. But yeah, that's the front door. So lifestyle, if you want to get into it, has to do with the fact on this house, the fact that I was the oldest boy in Maine having to shovel off the front steps, chip the ice off, and make the front door open. And I said, if I ever do a house in this region again, I'm going to, ever, I'm going to make the door on the end. And the kids come to me, came to me and said, Uncle Rick, thank you. We don't have to shovel at all. <laughs> and so you go in through this maze and through the building, and then you get the view again. So it's pretty amazing to hear how so much of your work is, it seems like this, this idea of being in nature can stem all the way back to your childhood in very specific moments that you remember. Yeah. And even in this example, you're bringing some of that memory back in a very unique way. Do you find that all your projects carry some personal element of you, a memory maybe, that kind of fuels the, the or adds to a special moment or something that you're uh, creating in each project? Well, I mean, uh, like a lot of us, we avoid our, a lot of what we grew up with <laughs> as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But um, in the case of the nature aspect of uh, my life, it's, I used to run down through the field and pick raspberries and catch two trout for breakfast in Maine. And so that's kind of um, how I thought about the world and um, still do. There seems also like there's an element of your of your work where, I mean, you described in this anecdote with these clients that it wasn't even just about presenting a new project for them. It was also a new argument to support yours that actually wasn't even tied necessarily to, it was sort of, you painted the picture financially and also as a pain point for them, right? Like it's going to cost you 60,000 a year just to like plow that up. Do you use that as a technique also when you're thinking about how to re-educate the client on the potential of a project that it's both really rooted in the narrative that you're developing, but also rooted in something else that might mean more of a pain point for them or something else that we were trying to tease out like, oh, that would be a bummer if actually we went your direction, but my direction's better because of X, Y, Z, and there's a financial benefit too. 
Yeah, but I avoid the uh, whole notion of re-educating my clients. They would be horrified if they heard me say that. And I don't do it. I just uh, wanted them to live down near the pond so they could be with the kids swimming in the pond. It's not rocket science. And uh, I was just there a couple weeks ago, uh, months ago, and um, it's just beautiful. Um, they have four horses now. They moved into the house permanently. And it's just like one of those things that just glorious that they moved into. It's not a retreat. I do think that there's an element, not of, I wouldn't say of like education, but of. There's some teaching. There's like an, an enhancement, you know, of just from my experience of working in, in the arts for like a decade and then suddenly working for an architectural studio and just realizing that, that architecture is art. And so I think there's like this kind of experience and enhancement that occurs for the client when we have their discussions with them about like, where do you want the sun to be when you wake up? Like, how should that feel? What does that look like? And I don't think it's teaching them anything, but it's, it really is in some ways like Rick and the team stimulating them to notice that. And we were just talking about Rick is giving another talk for the Daylight Awards in a month or so. We were talking about the title of it and it was going to be, it's, you know, one of the descriptions of things he has is called taking the time, you know? And I think that is a lot of times what the client is getting is someone who's someone in a firm and a team that's taking the time to look at this property and really enhance it for them and say, wow, when you come out this door, you're going to see this. And, you know, making people have that experience. Well, it's, it's taking the time and it's... providing um, them with these images and actual... It's taking the time and paying attention. You know, the first thing I notice when I go into Dia Beacon is the blue light from the north and the orange light from the south in that big room with the Volta de Maria red thing in the middle. And it's... Um, we generally pay attention at that level of, of um, the quality of light. And, you know, like I said, growing up financially challenged, you have to kind of find beauty in certain things that don't cost a lot, like side light, like Jan Vermeer, or the blue light at the Beacon and the orange on the other side. And um, I just think it's not hard. It just takes a level of attention. Taylor, do you find that? the clients that come to the office, have you noticed any, like basically how well versed are they already with the work of the studio pure, like deeply, right? Where they, where they kind of already bought yeah, in. Yeah, there's a the satellite. Sure. Right. How bought in are they fully with the sort of the approach to design this idea of like, it takes time to get to this kind of level of experience. Or do you find that, you know, is there any disconnect or is it just like they've, they've done their homework so deeply that it's really easy to have that conversation with them? No, it's, um, it does take time. And that's why I say taking the time. But um, some clients are, have called me at the house in Long Island, and house in um, Napa and all. They just called me and said, we want you to be our architect. We studied you and we, we love it. But then, uh, like a lot of developers who've seen how successful for example, Amagiri was. Kanye has number one in the world for a long time. And they just call and they think that we can just deliver a 
luxury hotel for them? I think I would say it's a combination of how we exist in culture today. Like there's part of it that people are press or our studio is always open for a tour. Anyone who's watching this now can call us. We answer our phone. Like these are just the little things that we do. Like our phone number from 9.30 to 5.30 p.m., we answer our phone. We don't even always, like, it's rare if there's a birthday, which we celebrate together, something that we take lunch at the same time so that someone is here to answer the you phone said, so that you can get in touch with us. And it should be more like uh, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Well. Sorry, Taylor. We don't <laughs> want people to call. We work late, but we don't necessarily want people calling us at 10 p.m. You know, <laughs> then that's a different kind of architectural conversation. Well, they do with me. What I think it's just is that what I'm saying is like there's some expectations of this speed and rapidity that people want things in. And they're like, OK, we've decided like before they even contact us, they've decided that we're the firm they want to work with. And then we kind of take it back and we say, actually, can you answer some questions? And then you're going to talk to Rick on the phone you and him, just a one-on-one, no one else. And you're going to have a connection. Then we will discuss your project with you and get you what, like a, an actual proposal, because it is a business, right? And we are selling something and they are buying something. But we really like make sure that there's that connection in the very beginning, because it does like slow it down a little bit, just for a minute, right? And it puts everyone kind of like, okay, these are just people on one end or the other. And I think that's been really important in COVID, but you can actually connect with us and communicate with us and talk to Rick and whether or not the project goes forward or not, you've had the discussion with him. You've had a connection with him. And then from that connection, we move forward and we kind of discuss the site and go, and then it starts with, what is it called Rick? Uh, Oh man, I'm blanking, but Site analysis. Site analysis. (laughs) Sorry, I haven't had lunch yet, (laughs) but, um, you know, we do the site analysis and that also kind of like dials them in and it says, okay, you're having this experience. Yes. You're going to get this product. It's going to be one of a kind. It's going to be an amazing experience for you, but we're going to take you into like every aspect of your site, every aspect of what we're going to do and kind of give you this. Okay. Will your timeline line match our timeline? And are we going to, are the expectations there? from the beginning of how long this is going to take and what it looks like for us as a firm, because we are so thoughtful, because we are so mindful, because we do go through every single detail. Like, is that the experience that we're setting you up for? And is that the experience you're, you're setting yourself up for with Rick and with the team? And so I think there is a balance occurring and we do it through our practice. I'll bring it back to practice, our practice that we do every day, which is like, We open all our doors at 9.30 the same way. We always answer our phones. You can come by and walk through. Yeah, there's just things that are... All right, I got to be a better boss. He's like, (laughs) I'm saying the wrong time. But um, it's just because we we don't want people like walking through because we are so exposed in this barrio like all the time. But anyways, I think there is a way that you set up that balance, George. And I think there is a way that you set up a practice and set some expectations on both ends of like, yes, we're creating this product and we're also creating an experience. And how do you do both? How do you create an experience while you're creating a product? And I think that is important to kind of think about. I don't think everyone walks in knowing that that's what they're going to do. Well, I mean, like um, what Chris was saying and uh, referencing is that um, it's more about a lifestyle proposition than uh, for buildings. And I think that's just what we've always tried to do. 
these are propose a way for you to live on that site. Then we'll do the building. Great. We have a few questions from the audience here. One question coming in is, what is a type of project that most inspires you in your design process? And what's a project typology you've never designed but have always wanted to design? Well, I mean, um, the biggest thrill in the last few years is doing the, our first public project at Princeton. You know, the Transit Hall, the Transit Plaza, the Wawa store, and, and four other buildings, structures. And um, it came as an enormous surprise. And I just think that, you know, you do a vacation house in some valley and two people get to live in it for a little while and it's dark the rest of the year. Um, but Princeton, people come and go and go through it. Obama went through it. And it's uh, black and stainless steel and precast concrete and Nakashima benches. And uh, it's just a glorious project for us. So I'd like to do, so stop on that one. So a little side story is that people go over to that country club that you can see in the distance. And then they, they have their wedding, but they come over to our transit hall and say their vows in it. It's more like a chapel than a transit hall. And there's a train, a little choo-choo, and a green roof on the, on the Wawa store. And Stephen Hall's there on the right. That's potentially one of his best buildings, actually. And it's just glorious to know that so many people, when uh, Michael Graves had his funeral at Princeton, all the most famous architects went through that train station to go, go to it. And also, uh, you can see the students in there. It just, I say this a lot, it just makes me know that we did that building and sitting like that. And so we um, decided, if you can look at the plan, that on the corner of the store, on the upper corner of the store was going to be the waiting room for the, um, for the train. And I went to the president and I said, no, we can't do that. This is the gateway to Princeton and Princeton Township. And we have to make a transit hall. We have to do a canopy. We have to have a transit plaza and make a building that is an icon of, and it's the only project I think I've only done one that is uh, more form generated. There's not machine. And um, to be able to do that for a place like Princeton University, it's just, you know, as an architect, it's such a thrill. The clients were lovely. They were beautiful. We had, um, we made these restaurants. That little image on the left is if you're lucky enough to be a woman and you go into the toilet stall, you get your own skylight. You just get your own skylight. The boys don't get it. And so, um, you know, to answer your question, I mean, look at this. I mean, that, that couple is sitting there right in the middle with the white shirt. They are architects and they go to Princeton every Saturday and sketch the building. And they call me and tell me that they noticed something else. And then our lighting design firm did those funicular lights. The only ones in the U.S. I don't know if that answers your question, but I just wanted to just like riff on that for a minute. Well, the second part, Rick, was um, what's a project you haven't done that you would want to do? Well, I do have a small story about that in that we've done these developer projects, these hotels, and we just quit on a project in, um, in Austin, Texas, that we're like getting them through a permit on it. But I just think that 
people read Desert Works and our new one, uh, Studio Joy Works, and they come to Tucson. And for me, I feel guilty putting them on a parking garage in Austin. I just think, you know, uh, I just have to do better. So currently now we're doing houses, small ones, like Desert Works level, small houses. And it's really making uh, the firm feel better. I'm not going to do any more development projects at all. Those guys want to pay 3%. We turned down hotels and lots of places that people wanted to pay us 3%. I'm like, well, if, if you bought a used one, a used La Quinta, you'd pay 10% to a real estate agent like Taylor. <laughs> and I'm like, nope, not doing that anymore. I want to take care of my people, beautiful people that moved to Tucson from all over the world to work with us. It's funny too, because to be working for a studio that's been in practice for so long, there's a real emphasis on narrative. So I think like it's hard to answer that question because it could also be just the perfect client, the perfect thing that comes along that really stimulates and like is in line with our ethos. That's what I was saying. Like we really take the time to connect. So, you know, for the projects you see on our website, we've had a hundred that haven't you know, followed through or more. And we, so he's designed everything. I mean, we have chapels and boutique hotels and island places and I mean, homes all around the world, you know, there's been so much. So it's really interesting to see and be a part of a studio that's really focused on like the connection to the individual project as it comes and the individual landscape as it comes. And I think that's a really nice way to live in the present versus for the studio to be kind of like wanting something that we're, you know, to kind of like know who we are and know what we're doing and being like kind of in the moment of this practice now. Uh, well, I'm not hungry for it, but I think that at some point in what's left of my career, it'd be nice to do a museum. Oh yeah, that probably would be pretty amazing to see that. It'd be pretty fun. Um, yeah. And, you know, we use all the consultants that did the Whitney all the time. Silman, Atelier Sieber, uh, Weber, all those guys. And... Um, be fun to do a museum. We're at time here. So I think we'll kind of wrap it up with a question that we love to ask all of our guests. It kind of brings it back, I think, to a different kind of nature, a human one. And that is, and we can start off with you, Taylor, with this question. It's, uh, what's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? It's a very good question. And I, I think, I know that there's definitely some particular moments, but I would just say, like, as I get more evolved, and grow. I think it's nicest when people really make an effort to listen. It's almost like the small things versus like some grand gesture for me. Like if I feel heard and seen, which I know is very much something that's coming up in our culture now that I don't really think was given space when I was younger, particularly the way I was raised or from my parents or even my ancestors had that space for that. But like for me to have that space to try and create relationships where I feel heard and seen and like seen even when I'm, excuse my language, but even when I'm shitty, you know, like yeah. being seen in all the ways and kind of having, having someone try to connect with me on that level and vice versa. I find those moments to be like the nicest moments when I'm kind of at my like best or feel like that's the nicest thing someone can do for me is uh, to kind yeah, of come up to do there. That's good stuff. I can um, tell a very short story about um, finding a lighting designer in Stockholm, Use Architecture, and meeting this young woman who is now my wife. 
and she could speak English better than anybody else in the firm. And she's a phenomenal agent, best in the world. And after two years of Skype and two years of trying to convince her to get with um, uh, one of the young guys in my office, I kept saying, she's the kind you want to love. And he goes, well, you're single now. Why don't you ask her out? And I flew to Stockholm and did it. And she moved to Tucson. So Claudia moving to Tucson is the nicest thing anyone's ever done for Rick, basically. (laughs) It is the (laughs) finest thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole change in climate, lifestyle, the whole nine. There's continents, uh, you know, everything. She's not here right now. She's in Vegas. (laughs) So she's working on a project up there, which is like the, the very intentional American project. But yeah, that's the nicest thing. Uh, well, I really appreciate both your stories. Uh, again, we kind of like to ground it back into uh, people at the end of the day, which is super important for us. So I'll just kind of wrap it up with a quick blurb on what we're doing here at Monograph, the spot that sponsors this podcast. Monograph is designed by architects for architects. About maybe 40% of our company has some experience in architecture. Even our software developers have used to be in architecture and whatnot. So we're really trying to address really important problems within what it means to manage an office. Over 300 firms are using Monograph to visually manage their practice operations, streamline their repetitive processes, and empower their team to grow sustainably. In fact, 85% of Monograph reviews say easy, simple, and intuitive. It's a really beautiful product. You should totally check it out. Uh, Don't take my word for it. You should uh, experience it yourself. But our customers are entering time sheets daily on their browser to get real-time visuals on project performance. And it's a really holistic project that lets you, for the first time, see when you're on a given project, where are you on your budget in one tool that we call the Money Gantt. It's kind of a really beautiful uh, Gantt chart with a very simple die on the top. You should, you know, we have a free trial available for 10 days. And uh, we have a live webinar tomorrow with uh, senior management consultant Lucas Gray from Shore Venture Group on how to track daily progress on yearly financials with Monograph. We're adding a link to the chat. Thank you both. Taylor, thank you so much, Rick, for joining us today and sharing such a really beautiful story on, on what it means to have a very authentic practice that is rooted in, I mean, I think like the fundamentals, right? Nature. And so really- Well, in, uh, conversation. In, in final, I just want to point out what's behind me. That's a map of every place I've stayed overnight. In all <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Chris, thank you for being patient with us. It took us a while to get this scheduled, but you were very dedicated and we appreciate you making the the effort to have us on. And thank you, George, for asking thoughtful questions. You'll have to email me what your nicest thing anyone has done for you is because now I feel like I want to know and it was only one-sided and I'm like, what's yours, you know? Okay, all right. send Send me an email. I would really like to know. That's a deal. Hopefully it doesn't get word, uh, the word doesn't get out to previous participants. So then I start getting a flock of emails <laughs> of asking me. <laughs> I'll be sure to do that. Thank you both for joining us and everyone. Thank you. Yes. Thank you all. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you, George. And okay. thanks to all the participants. Come to Tucson. Come visit us. Bye now. Bye. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Hey, it's Chris from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. More than 200 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial today or watch a live demo with our CEO, Robert Ewan. Get started at monograph.com.
That's monograph.com. Talk to you soon.